The conversations at the interval take place a few times a month at the Long Now Foundation's bar, cafe, and museum venue, The Interval, in San Francisco. You can support this series by coming to a live event, spreading the word, or making a donation. Find out more at theinterval.org. Thanks for listening. Welcome to The Interval. Thanks, everybody, for coming out tonight. How about a big round of applause for the exciting evening we have ahead of us. My name's Michael M., uh, I'm the producer of uh, this series at the interval. Thank you. I've lost track uh, at the moment of how many of these talks that we've done now, but every single one of them has been full to the brim, just like tonight. And that makes any event better. And we're so appreciative of you for, for responding to, to this series, for coming out to it. It's, um, we have a great talk for you, and it's even better to have this much excitement and a great crowd like you tonight. So thank you for being here. The Internet Archive are our friends of Long Now, our partners at Long Now, because they're helping us with our Manual for Civilization project. If you've heard about the books uh, that we are collecting, the list of books that we would need to help uh, restart civilization, uh, the digital versions of those books are going to be available as we continue to build that collection on the Internet Archive. We collaborate with them on a bunch of things, including with our Rosetta project. But they're more than that. They're actually our old roommates. So, so uh, back in the day, uh, before we got this this space, uh, and if you don't know, the interval has only existed in this form for less than a year at this point, but we, we took it over as a much uh, more modest space in 2006, a former museum space. Uh, before that, we were sharing a house, as it were, in the Presidio uh, with the, the Internet Archive. And we've both moved on and moved up in the world with uh, larger uh, families of, uh, and uh, large, larger uh, groups uh, working for us in much cooler digs. Um, they are now uh, at a former, um, a former church uh, that is amazing. So a big welcome for the Internet Archive folks who are spread all amongst you. And uh, thank you. Support them and, and appreciate them because they're an amazing resource. Yeah. Um, Jason Scott is, uh, is working for all of us. Uh, he is preserving the... The, the, the memory and the, uh, the artifacts of uh, the first um, networked world that, that has led to so many more things that we do online today. He's continuing to think about uh, the present content, even when it's threatened by the folks who nominally own it and helping to keep it for future generations. We talk about being uh, good ancestors, and uh, Jason is helping all of us to do that by uh, making sure that the things we're making today, the things we're um, playing with yesterday, uh, are uh, available to folks in the future. Uh, give a big round of applause for the best-dressed man in the house, please, Mr. Jason Scott. Hello, everyone. Hi, everybody. How you doing? Aloha. Hi there. Um, okay, so um, this talk uh, is called Web Enabling, but it's, of course, a lot about a person, and it's a lot about us as people and everything else. Um, I don't know, just, just, just go like this for a second so nobody knows it's you. How many people have not actually seen something where I'm talking before and are just here because you're good people? Excellent. I like that. It always, it always amazes me because 
life is so busy now and so directed that we're all used to just ending up in echo chambers of watching the same thing over and over again in a binge watch. So I'm always impressed with people who are like, I don't know, it might be fun, let's go. That's amazing to me, so thank you very much for having that outlook. And for everyone else who has to hear me come over the sound of their office constantly saying the same 14 things over and over again, I thank all of you for coming here as well because that's pretty involved itself. So, um, all right, so the talk is called, like I said, Web and iBlink, and uh, my name is Jason Scott. I'm about 44 years old. Um, I give talks, I collect things, I'll talk a little bit about what I'm up to, what, we're, what, what I'm believing and what I'm doing. Uh, and, and also, I just wanna say that, that um, <laughs> a lot of what I do is gain attention. And if my clothing doesn't really indicate that, um, it's because I, I just believe that you know, we are surrounded by so much noise and that unfortunately, loud, weird, squeaky wheels with a feather in their hat tend to get the attention. And my hope is that the things that I care about uh, and that I want people to know about are worthy of, of their attention, right? Um, and I was very, very affected by a speech by someone named Wilson Miner. And you're totally allowed not to know who Wilson Miner was. He worked for Facebook for a while, but I'm sure he'll make up for that in the stretch of time. And um, he gave a couple talks that were very fascinating because um, they struck at the heart of what a talk is. I've given about 100 talks, and, and you know, the problem is a lot of talks just end up being a show and tell about some basic concept that you then have to spend 45 minutes being told a paragraph worth of text. And Wilson actually did this amazing thing where he built a tool on stage, or he showed a tool on stage that everyone wanted, but it wasn't about the tool. It was actually about his philosophy. So I'm gonna show you some things, but I think that the point of a presentation is that it's not a piece of paper that someone just slowly drags their finger across for an hour, but that it should actually be a series of strings that a person holds out to you one after another with a tag on them, and you go, what was that, and yank it and spend the next afternoon trying to find out more about that thing. So I've had myself in a bunch of places, and like I said, I'm an attention getter. So. Um, like this is just me at some improv anywhere stunt where everybody, like 500 people dressed up in tuxedos and went to Coney Island Beach in the middle of the day. Um, looks good on a business card. Um, but I've also been known over the years for a whole bunch of crazy jobs, things and stuff that I've done um, at 44. Each one of these is a story in itself um, and I've you know, been a lot of things, but it's always that last one because people are like, are you a famous cat owner? Are you a famous cat owner? What the hell's up with that? Um, and I'll, yeah, okay, fine. Um, but mostly, like I said, it's about walking around, getting in people's faces. But I always want to leave a few more questions than I answer, so we'll go into some of those. Um, always wear a Viking hat when you visit Iceland, by the way. It really works out. The natives appreciate it. They really think it's funny. It's, they've never seen it before. It blows their minds that a guy would stand in Reykjavik with a, anyway. So. But so I have this famous cat, and the cat's name is Sockington, and Sockington is famous because he has 1.4 million Twitter followers. And so whenever anybody brags about their Twitter followers, just remind them that a house cat has 1.4 million. Um, when this happened in 2007, and, the, and this cat jettisoned up um, and became kind of the center of the world for a very short period of time. It was a weird little story. It really helped me understand the arbitrariness and meaninglessness of celebrity, right? Because the thing was, was I was on the phone with someone from to the Today Show screaming at me about why my cat needed to go on the air with them. And if I wasn't gonna do that, 
God damn it, do not go over to ABC. <laughs> and I'm driving with this person. I mean, she's begging, you know, and she's telling me. I'm like, the cat will have a heart attack. This, this cat is a recovered stray. He has no idea. It is going to be very hard to explain to my cat what's happening, why he's being loaded into a plane to go into a loud room full of shouting people while somebody talks to, to his owner, who he hates, by the way. And... and like that, I, I just want to be clear, that is not the face of a cat that's like, I appreciate this and this is fantastic. That is a cat literally waiting for the food bowl or for my face to get within viewing range. It's, help, it's, it's like having a, like a bee outfit, just making sure that this cat, he, he's, he's beautiful, but he's also really doesn't like me. So, and she was like willing to have me sedate the cat. I mean, she was like really, really on it. And, and I got interviewed... I said, anyone who comes to the house can interview me. So, so uh, an ABC affiliate came to the house and interviewed me, and he got everywhere. And, and as someone pointed out, I mean, Sox at that point had 900,000 followers, and the astronaut twittering from space had 400,000. And it was just funny to me because it was all very, people were trying to find the meaning. You know, this is what it's about. Why? And they didn't realize that just the world is full of dumb things. And we like shiny, weird, stupid stuff. And it's not always based on merit, and it's kind of based on, on yourself. Okay? So, so every time you like, really feel like what you're working on and people aren't paying attention to it, just remember they're all looking at the Twittering cat. Um, his, Twitter, his Twitter account, because you know, he needs more followers, is Sockington. Um, and, and yeah, it's exactly what you think it is. It's a cat who's constantly ever... Uh, ever on edge and angry at the world. Um, I will say one more thing about him, which was that Garfield joined, oh, Garfield joined one day, but only had like 2,000 followers. So Sox was talking to him like he was like Justin Bieber and Keith Richards had gotten on the bus and be like, oh, Garfield, I've always admired your work. You're so awesome. And the Garfield account was responding, which I thought was funny. And then one day he declared, tuna is everything. And Starkist wrote back, truth. <laughs> All right, so anyway, brand, brand engagement with cats. All right, anyway, so J Jason has young fellow. Um, so there's me on the right. That's my brother with no pants. That's my great uncle Sam. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so I was born, and I'm going to tell you about some stuff in my childhood that was awful, but I just want to show you that on the other end, I came out pretty okay. Uh, so this is me at 17. I'm pretty well adjusted right here. I have a whole bunch of stuff that I stole in my yearbook photo. Oh, yeah. No, no, I bought that phone, I'm sure. Anyway, all right, so yeah, so I, I bought that phone. Uh, I bought that highway sign. I bought, yeah, anyway, so um, not one, but two highway flashers, I just want to point out. Just couldn't, anyway, this is my yearbook photo. Can you believe that? Anyway, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. So people always try to go like, well, what's the moment that really kind of defines you and really kind of changes your outlook on life? And, and for me, that's about when I'm, when I'm about nine. And the reason I'm, uh, I always look back on that is because I was woken up by my mother, and I had a brother and a sister at the time, and my father was sick in the hospital, and my mother said, we have to go. My mother had decided that my father was um, dangerous. Um, I've spent 30 years with the man since then. I disagree with the diagnosis, but I was nine. Um, but she decided she wanted to pull the kids out of the house at about 10 o'clock at night. And so what she said to me was, grab what you think you need, which is an incredible thing to ask a nine-year-old. Turns out a nine-year-old needs a blanket and his dog. 
But that was my boiling down of my life at that point. I really liked Rocky, and I really liked that blanket. Rich, rich shade of blue. Blue's still my favorite color. And the thing is, is we pulled away, and uh, it took Dad about three weeks to figure out where we were, uh, during which he lost about 50 pounds, actually. And so it was this very stressful situation in our lives. Uh, the parents did not get back together again. And I learned some very, very odd, weird lessons that are my own personal lessons that came in, right? Which was, uh, nothing is permanent, uh, trust very little, and you are responsible for your destiny. You know, in other words, I realized that even if my, my parents' marriage and the home I lived in was all going to be, you know, once you, list, you, you often have people who they come in through life and, you know, they can always go home. And I couldn't. I was going to go now live in a series of weird apartments and different schools and everything else. And I went to like something like six schools, I think, totally before I graduated from high school. So, you know, you move around. You got to be responsible for your own destiny is what I learned, okay? So... This explains uh, why I fell in love with worlds that were outside my own, right? So I'm, you know, when you make your dad pull over so you can pose with the apple sign <laughs> at 11, right? And notice that I've got sunglasses on because that just ups it, right? You're, you're so cool and subtle, you just happen to be leaning on the apple sign. Uh, this was the first time I'd ever gone to California, and I loved California because California was a dream in my head of this beautiful, warm place. I'm, I'm from New York. Some people hear my voice and go, yeah, duh, but okay. So I'm, I'm from New York, and then I went to, I thought my accent was just a little bit too smooth and rich, so I went to Boston for 20 years, mixed them together, and this is what you got, I'm sorry. And so um, I lived in New York, and we went to California, and I just, I just loved that. And, and I think um, this isn't mine, but I think that's something I really learned was, you know, what I love about this picture here, and here's what I love so much, is um, <laughs> he's gone ahead and he's drawn all of the favorite logos of companies who make video games and computers. And he's drawn them in his book of his Atari you know, he's, he's had to, like, put the Atari thing in a binder. He's written where he's from, and he's got all the different games. Over on the left, he's got the, some drawings of, like, pinouts and, and everything else. And more important to me, this picture was then taken 30 years after the notebook came out, right? So he not only lived this and loved it, but 30 years later, he still had it, see? So one of the things I'm always trying to fight is this idea that like technology is a cold, weird thing, or that mass-produced items, whether it's a blender, a car, or a computer, are simply dead things within themselves. Like the humans, once they get their hands on the things, love the things, and their love of the things make these things come alive. So there is a benefit in collecting things, right? Because there's a, a part of you that comes in there, it becomes part of the story of your life, the story you tell, it becomes the talisman. Um, and, and here's the thing, right? So when I was in my teens, I started calling computer bulletin board systems, and I loved them. Uh, I racked up incredible amounts of bills. This is uh, another yearbook photo uh, where I am posing with my BBS. So yeah, that's right. And you're like, wow, Jason, you also have some weird stuff in there. Yes, cryptographic message, uh, how to make chicken littles from a KFC that uh, one of my friends worked at. Lysol, there's a whole thing with, there's a whole thing with shop vacs, and that's why that's there, the dust buster. I made sure that I had a dust buster in every photo of me in the yearbook, I don't know. Sometimes I think like there'd just be this glowing door and I come out and go, what are you thinking, and then like leave again. 
No advice, no nothing. Just stop it. But, you know, anyway, dustbusters, love them. Um, but the thing was, was when I called bulletin board systems, and I'm assuming people know what a bulletin board system is, a bulletin board system is basically a computer with a modem with a lonely person at it who then um, keeps code up so that when other lonely people call them, they leave messages about how angry they are at the world because they're lonely, and then uh, other people disagree with them, and nobody gives anybody a hug. And um, anyway, so the point is, is that these things were kind of self-made worlds, right? You would, you would pay enormous amounts of money at the time to put a computer on a phone line. I mean, this is all very expensive. And then other people would call and use your computer and post it. But the thing was, is that they were transient, right? They were unbelievably transient. They would go away after like five, six months. And, and some of them would stay around for a year or two or disappear. Jason, who had previously learned that the world was messed up, would back up everything he found. So if I found anything on a website that I liked, that uh, uh, told me about uh, the place or had quote-unquote text files where you could go and find out how to make a bomb, how to fix a modem, how to get angry at the world, 10 terrible light bulb jokes. I just grabbed them all, right? I just grabbed them all and put them all on floppy disks until I had a stack of floppy disks. Uh, and when bulletin board systems stopped being important in my life, okay, that's not right. When bulletin board systems stopped being a thing I did daily, I ended up going to you know, college and I found a way to get on through MIT system into the internet at like 18 or 19 and you know, once, you, once you're doing you know, the heroin, it's hard to go back to the marijuana and so I ended up um, storing away those floppies. And in 1998, I thought, man, I sure had fun in those BBSs and now I'm 28 and the web is up and the web has everything now. Um, got AltaVista, it's, it's pretty, it's got lots of, it's, the, the text will center now, you can affect the font, um, sky's the limit. So let me go look up about my favorite bulletin board system, Sherwood Forest, 914-359-1517, and let's go find out what's going on with them, no information, that's weird. How about bulletin board systems of uh, New York? Nothing. Ooh, how about bulletin board systems? Not much. All right, what happened here? Now, Friggin' 20 years of research has revealed to me what happened. I'll tell you in a moment, it's not that interesting. But it, basically, bulletin board systems were persona non grata on the internet. And so I was like, but I have all these old text files. Well, why don't I put them all up? <laughs> so, so I ended up grabbing textfiles.com, and I put up 50,000 text files that I had collected over those years. And all these people came out of the woodwork to go, first, oh my god, all these old things. And more importantly, I have stuff and I don't want it, you obviously do. <laughs> Would you like the stuff now? And I'm like, yes, yes, please send me the stuff. Send me CD-ROMs, send me piles of floppies, send me whatever you want to, and I'll put them up on textfiles.com, and textfiles.com grew and grew and grew, and, and I became known, whether I wanted to, as a historian, as an archivist, as a librarian. I did not go to school for these things. I went to school with a film degree. Okay, I graduated from high school, this is very true, this is not me being funny, I graduated from high school with a 1.7 grade point average, <laughs> all right? That is very hard to do without shooting the place up. <laughs> but I did it, I did it. And I went to Emerson College in Boston because the buildings looked nice, and, I, and my parents said, you know, uh, you can't move more than 100 miles away from us you know, just for transport's sake, so I moved 100 miles away. 
And so I moved to Boston and I did mass communications concentration in film where I learned about being on the radio and, and I did newspapers and I found that I was good at speaking and I found that I was good at being on the radio and I was a radio DJ and I was a newspaper our uh, editorial cartoonist. I did all these crazy things, right? And I graduated with a 2.1 grade point average, totally investing myself in that place. Um, yeah, so, so the thing was, was that I was just not a good student, but I was somebody who cared about what he did. And uh, when I started to like, you know, do this whole thing online and really throwing myself in online, I became this, this weirdly respectable fellow. And then, so it turns out, like, you can like, kind of like sneak your way in through the back into respectability. I have zero credentials. All my credentials are street, right? All street credentials. They'll remember me for that, but no, 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 no. I'm not so good with the reports. I can write, and I'm young enough, or I should say I'm old enough, sorry, that when I brought a laptop to school, they put in my permanent record that they assumed I was cheating. So that's, I'm, I'm about that period of time. Um, and, and you know, so no Twitter, no nothing, just, just yelling at people. Um, and so anyway, in this new respectable guise that I now live in, right, I work here. And I work at the Internet Archive, which is located here in San Francisco. I still live in New York. My official title is Free Range Archivist, which sounds like some sort of weird enemy in a first-person shooter, but I am. <laughs> so I, I'm a Free Range Archivist software curator, and I, and I, I work for it. it. It looks like this, but it shouldn't. If you go up to the top and it says click on beta, it looks like this, and this is what it should look like. And it looks fantastic, and it's a fantastic place. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of these things where... Um, you know, I'd, I interacted with the Internet Archive like a lot of people, either using the Wayback Machine, unaware that I was on the Internet Archive, or because I wanted a movie or something. And at the time, I was downloading a lot of stuff throughout my 30s, because I was like, it's all going to go away, because of all these lessons I'd learned. <laughs> it's all going to disappear. Don't trust anybody. And I remember that day I tried to take on the Internet Archive. She doesn't know about it. The day I tried to download the Internet Archive. Don't do this. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It's like watching a hamster try to chew a baseball. <laughs> Doesn't work, does not work. Uh, the first time I grabbed it and I was like, oh look, the basic file is 1.8 gigabytes. Well, that's everything today. Uh, I gave up. But this thing was full of stuff and having walked its stacks, I will tell you, it has a lot of things and it has even more things than that and just when you think you found everything, you realize you're only in the first room. And so it's, it's this amazing collection of human culture, especially online culture, but also all sorts of culture. Anything that's been gifted for the moment with being transferred to a digital form is mostly welcome on the Internet Archive, and so it really reflects a whole bunch of amazing cultural pieces of humanity, and I love walking it and working there. Um, I have either overseen, this number is rough, but I have overseen or personally uploaded about 2% of what's in the archive, which is a scary number, I will admit. How did I get to that? <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll talk about it in a moment. Here's some of where my stuff is. Um, this is located inside of a church, and each one of those is about one petabyte of disk space sitting inside of a church. If you haven't been to the church, go to, go to church. Come to church. It's one of the finest secular testimonies to data in the world. It's beautiful, you gotta go there, okay? So if you look for archive.org, there's a way to go there. And if it's not weird enough for you, it's full of little statues. <laughs> I think the greatest thing, and that's why it's really nice that you're all here at the interval, is that 
OMG should always be accompanied by WTF in the world, right? I think you need to do that, right? Uh, the Vatican has that too, where you're like, oh, look at this. What is up with that? And you walk in here like, this is amazing. What is that thing? Why are they doing it this way? This is, oh my God, a robot is drawing computers. Okay. Um, well, if you work at the archive for three years, you get a statue of yourself. And I'm happy to say that I work at the archive for three years. So, this is when I stopped, this, this, the moment when this little guy joined the world is when I stopped referring to the archive as uh, them and started really referring to them as us. And it takes a long time for a kid who loses his parents the way I did to build that kind of trust. But yeah, so I'm in that family because they made a little doll of me. So I, there is no good life advice there. I don't know about any other place that builds a little statue of you, but if they do, trust them. They're probably pretty nice. It takes a lot of effort to draw the little statue of you. I had to give her like 19 pictures, and little Ted Nelson's living back there. Um, and he's holding little floppy disks, and he's happy. He's a good guy. I like him. Um, you know, the Internet Archive, like I said, is just loaded with amazing stuff. Um, it's, it's the wonder of it, of course, right, is, and I've said this before when he's not in the room, but I'll say it when he's in the room. The reason, the reason I'm so pleased about the Internet Archive is because it's a perfect example of somebody getting really rich and then not being a shit. <laughs> right? I mean, really seriously, how many times have you seen somebody just strike it big in some way, and the first thing he does is, oh, I don't know, buy a $78 million ridiculous-looking mansion somewhere in L.A. that Kanye was voting on? <laughs> Why, Notch? But um, this just happened, and I'm just looking at it like, really? That's what you needed? $78 million? If instead you look at that $78 million, you're like, that could really... Um, that's what I'm so amazed by, because the Internet Archive needed to exist at the time that it existed. Technically, it needed to exist 20 years earlier, but there was nobody there, and nobody thought it was needed, and everyone thought it would all work out, and now we have it. So that's why, we, that's it, it really seriously, you can't overstate it. It's nice to work for a place where people can't overstate things. I can't overstate how much of our online history would be lost without the Internet Archive starting when it did, right? It just wouldn't exist. we just completely lose it. It was gone. It was gray. I think there were some links that were not gray. Uh, Netscape founded Microsoft in some sort of browser explorer. There was a server called Mozilla. Um, we just have this fuzzy thing. We would all be relying on like poorly done screenshots and books and that would be it. So, you know, the Internet Archive has all of this grabbing that's, that's going on. Um, and also, a lot of people don't know this, at night it actually is like this. So, <laughs> when people are on it, it does this. It's amazing. It plays all this music and then all this sparks come. You can't be in the building when this happens though. You gotta run. We all run. We all look out. All the lights flick. But then everyone gets a copy of their... It's fantastic. All right, so the thing's called the web and the eye blink. We'll talk a little bit about the web. Um, all right, so for a lot of people, the internet like kind of is the web, right? It's kind of the web. Um, and there are various people who have memories of transport before then, right? Like, so San Francisco has been many things, but right now it's just this kind of tech bro goulash that's at culture war with itself and is also trying to change the world and has perfected a way for tech bros to drive each other everywhere. But 
Um, but the thing is, is that, of course, it's been many things before, right? I worked for a dot bomb company called Digital Island in 2000, and, and I came here, and I was like, what are you all doing? Because there was companies called Purple Gorilla with a, seriously, Purple Gorilla was a travel, see, here's the thing. When you have to say, was a something, like if someone goes, international business machines was a, okay, come for it, a place that made machines for business internationally that called itself IBM, and it was called Big Blue because they all wore blue suits, you'd be like, I get it. Purple Gorilla was a travel site running somewhere near the Transamerica building that eventually died. Okay, fantastic. And all oh, the names, just, just, you know, just metal fruit, you know, just like some type of metal, some sort of fruit or whatever, these, all these hybrid names. And now they just figured out, well, we can make that first part one letter and everything's cool. But anyway, um, the web, right? People will usually call the web about the moment that we're all able to use browsers, you know, sort of in 1989, but not really, more like 1992, 1993, and that we get up to now, right? And so the web has several attributes that I have discovered over the time of watching it. I was very lucky. I got to use the NCSA browser, uh, downloading it. I was working as a temp at MIT, so it had a nice fat pipe, which I don't even want to think of how little a pipe it was, but we would download it to the, the little thing and I would browse the web. And, you know, this is when the web could be defined as a couple hundred sites. Um, and so I can speak from authority, right? I can speak from authority, okay? So the web is ridiculous, ridiculous. The web is a fast talker. It will convince you things very quickly and get you onto its side very quickly about everything from its outlook on the world to why other people are terrible or other people are great. It really, really, really can snow you. Also, the web is unendingly bored. Not boring, bored. It wants one more thing. It wants lots of cool things. It wants to do them now. It doesn't want to think about what there was before as much, and it's really, really excited if you can actually go back and buy some things. That's the web, right? That's the web as I've kind of perceived it, right? These websites that come and go, these events that come and go, terms that live, bloom, and burn out within the course of three weeks, right? And, and, and Twitter has not helped that, right? Twitter just basically went kerosene and just poured it all on there and said, stop thinking so much, stop thinking so long with your long talks. Did everyone see today, by the way, that Medium invented blogging today? Did everyone catch that? <laughs> Medium said, great news, we've discovered that there's an area between doing a tweet, he seriously said this, I'm not kidding. We found a spot between tweeting and long form. So you can put down your thoughts in a quicker way. It was like being sold a donut <laughs> as a brand new form factor for, the, for bread. It's sweeter, it's handheldable. I have changed your night and you don't even know why. Anyway. But this is the way the kind of the web is, right? You go back and you look at things, like this is Netscape. Netscape, which is gonna change everything, right? And the first thing you notice looking at it is like, well, first of all, very little JavaScript, but second, and second of all, no real ads, but, but kind of third of all, you have um, you know, buttons, and it says Netscape now, and that's because it's time for you to get onto Netscape. 
you know, because if you go onto the other browser, your web experience will be different. So they were doing this, this horseshit all friggin' from the beginning, right? One place, one place. There was the Netscape store. They used to sell browsers. And, and you could, you know, learn about what was going on, right? This is the very first e-commerce site on the net. This is the beginning. And what you would do is you would go to Pizza Hut, you would tell it your name and street address and your phone number, then they would call you back and sell you a pizza. <laughs> this is it. This is it. This is where all the crap happens. This is it. This is the form. This is when it all goes south. This is when all gets stupid. This is when everything turns into how can we sell you everything. Interstitials, pop-ups, everything. Thank you, Pizza Hut. And again, you know, you're talking about these very small numbers um, in the beginning, and then things just growing and growing and growing. And all this time here, the web is an experiment. It's an idea, right? It's bored. It wants to try new things. Let's hook a coffee cup, a coffee maker, up to a, a uh, webcam. Let's have cats on it. Let's talk about fan fiction. Um, if any of you have been watching the GeoCities pages I've been having go by, um, you know, most of them are fan fiction. You know, and speaking of GeoCities, actually, um, GeoCities was shut down utterly in 2009. And in doing so, it was a closing of a chapter of the web. And the most annoying part for me was that um, a lot of people were like, good riddance. <laughs> and it became very cool to say, well, glad we're over that. And now we're going to get to, I don't know, the real stuff. I'm not sure. But, but, but GeoCities enabled people to come onto the web for free, essentially, and use up to 10 megabytes of carefully crafted space to tell their story with no limits, no sense of requirements, no having a committee, no begging. They could call in and they could just have a website. And for some people, this may have been the largest audience their genetic line had ever reached. <laughs> because they never had that speed, you know, full color, sometimes sound, having to have all of this amazing design work that you had to hack out. Um, so when it went down, I got, or when I found out it was going down, I got very angry. Um, and remember, you know, just for perspective, um, this is the GeoCities cage, um, which held um, nine uh, terabytes. So that's what nine terabytes looks like in, in um, 1999. Um, and, and so GeoCities was like trying to keep itself up, you know, it was trying to uh, do the right thing, and then it was purchased by Yahoo, who just threw it into a car trunk and set it on fire over the course of the next bunch of years. We figured out that in the last year of its existence, it had nobody assigned to it, just floating. And at that time, it was the 212th most viewed website in the planet at the time of its death. To just walk away from that. Um, so, you know, GeoCities was this harbinger for people, and it bothered me. It bothered me so much that it would go away, and I said there should be a team of people who rush in and make a copy, because you can't argue about the historical sanctity of a building once it's burned to the ground. I mean, you can, but you seem a little lame, like a little behind the times. So I said we have to do something about it, and I didn't know I was wandering onto this world, right, where we were discovering how completely transient, how dumb this, this whole setup was, that it was built on sand. It was an experiment that had become vital. It was like doing a MakerBot project and then plugging it into the heating system of your house. 
you just were like, oh my God, we depend on this made up thing. And as we have discovered in the last two or three years, there have been some shortcuts afoot. Not for anyone's fault. It was just, we were just, let's keep going, let's keep going. And one of the things that keeps going is let's keep throwing out the old. You know, the web was never really designed to be permanent. They want it to be permanent, and we talk of that language, you know, a URL. But a URL is a universal resource locator. It is not a permanent record. It's just a way to get to things fast. But nothing there necessarily was ever imbued with a way to end up anywhere else at the same time. And so it just, it's just a fundamental flaw. It's nobody's fault, but we're here. It's time to like redo that, right? It really is time to redo that. Um, but I said, okay, well, let's do it by screaming and doing profanity. So archive team, which is at archiveteam.org, is a group of activist archivists who rush into websites that are going down, not asking too many questions, giving the finger to everybody and taking as many copies as we can as fast as possible before they delete it and then storing it away because the conversation ends when it's down. For instance, I don't know how many of you, here's, here's the thing. I started this in 2009, it's now 2015. Um, it is a war, it is a constant frontline war. I don't think I had all these gray hairs. So for instance, I can tell you all that today, I am aware that Google just announced that any blogger accounts that have nudity that is considered purient or explicit will be taken away on March 26th, unless it demonstrates artistic, educational, or historical merit, um, to which you go, what? That's, that's like, I don't know, it's like somebody shooting you and just being like, no, I really thought this through. Like, I just don't, I don't, I don't know what it's supposed to affect you for. Like, but, but, ser but seriously, like Google did this today, right? And I've often said the problem is people thought that Google was going to be our archive. It looked like it, didn't it? Right in the beginning, they were like sucking everything up. They were taking books and they were making them. In the Turned out that uh, Google is an archive, like a supermarket is a food museum. They will throw everything out if they want to, right? So it, it, we just had this whole digital vellum thing where... where the really, really smart old man who works for one of the largest deleters of data in the world has just said we shouldn't delete as much data. So, yes, anyway. So if you go to archiveteam.org, you'll see that we have anywhere from 20 to 30 simultaneous projects. We're downloading every old FTP site. We're going in and we're downloading um, old photo sites that we think are going down, or podcast sites, or fan fiction sites that have gotten into a fight. Um, if we see too many errors on a website, someone will tell us, we'll grab a copy. And it's just to be sure. And, and you know, the thing is, and it wouldn't be possible without the Internet Archive, who we store a lot of things with, right? We wouldn't have the space. We pull in about 400 gigabytes of data a day, just going around and being like, that's at risk, that's at risk, that's at well, That guy's stupid. Let's just take all his stuff and put it somewhere safe because he's going to screw up. And he does. He does. Um, do I, did I make it sound personal? I, I'll, be, I'll be less, okay, this, this talk will be less stupid. Um, all right, so, um, I'm giving it two more seconds, one more giggle. There we go, okay, good. All right, here's the secret, right? Life is a lossy format. Um, we do not actually have it within us to store everything, you know? Um, I have the word hoarder thrown at me a lot, and that's adorable. <laughs> it's cute, I mean, it's nice. You helped, I guess, sort of, yeah. 
Um, but the thing is, is we don't know what's important. And if it's relatively easy and non-disruptive to one's life through organized action to take a snapshot knowing that things will go away later, I think it's a meaningful, worthwhile thing. Let me tell you about how life is a lossy format. My Uncle Sam, who was in the previous picture. Now, Uncle Sam there is wearing long sleeves. The reason Uncle Sam's wearing long sleeves is because he didn't want us, and I didn't know about the number on his arm that he got. And he got the number on his arm when he was hauled into a camp, and he did something which I did not expect this old man who was just a really cranky guy in our house to do, which was he scaled the fence and got out. He then dressed up as a priest, went under a false name, which he kept for the rest of his life, and died like you. He, uh, so many of his relatives should have um, shoveling snow after an argument with his wife at 80, right? So the thing is, is um, that's my grandmother who I never met. Um, you know, uh, uh, my family tree has seven black spots because there's seven people, cousins, great cousins in my case, who they were hauled, the family was hauled up so quickly and died in such a way that we don't know their names. So there's no record. We just know there were seven children born in our family. We don't know anything about them. They're just blank. So I know about loss, and I know about like how we just, as a natural thing, lose things. And it's also always good to have perspective. You know, when I got into a screaming phone battle with one of the founders of um, of Ello, because I thought, here's the thing: I thought, wouldn't it have been great to be able to go back in like. 2003 and four, and like be able to scream at Mark Zuckerberg's face for a little bit. Like, you're gonna really mess the world up! And, and just do it, just, anyway, I thought I would do that with Ello, just in case. <laughs> Ello didn't appreciate that, but I was, and I totally appreciate that that was very, very poor management, personality, interpersonal, and, 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 um, and, and both resource management skills and time. But, 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 but we had a really great conversation, and it was pretty good. And he said, okay, come back in six months, and we'll see where we are. Turns out nobody cares about LL, they'll die. Um, but, but the thing is, is that I uh, recognize also that um, without these, like, this, this detrius that we collect, we don't let the next generation make the decision. We've made the decision for them. I hate being the gatekeeper. I hate being the one that says, out of these 100 books, these 40 get to live. I don't like that job. I don't want that job. I don't think we should have that job if we can avoid it, right? Um, a really good example of this are time capsules, right? Time capsules are this very interesting thing we do. We build things and put things in them that we think are important in the hope that people we'll never meet will look at them. That is a very odd thing. Why do we do that? And I brought this up because, you know, I'm here at the Long Now Foundation, and we have this... This, this whole dream that they have to make us think outside of our lives, to, 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 to go, you know, <laughs> here's my definition of the Long Now Foundation, is a bunch of us going, um, dun, 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 and a thousand years people go, dun, dun, <laughs> right? That's pretty much, all right, so, so there's all these little dun, 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 duns everywhere, right? They have all of these time capsules that they've put around you know, all of them are interesting, because to me, a lot of the thing about time capsules is the time capsule is actually a lot more about the burying than it is about the retrieval. It's a lot more about, hey, let's put this stuff in the ground, because we're going there too. And, and it should be a nice place when it comes back out again. And so, you know, each one of these is like, this is a branded time capsule, right? I mean, you've got other branded time capsules who are like, you know, to be opened, 
1958, we're really excited. And when it works, it's actually kind of exciting, right? I mean, a 1795, uh, you know, time capsule that had Paul Revere and, 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 and when these things are revealed, this, I have them out of order, by the way. But like, here's a good example of like a time capsule that's only about 30 years old. And you pull it out, and you're like, yay, look at all this stupid stuff. But here's the thing, <laughs> right? This is the moment I'm talking about. This is us, right? We're here now. Stuff flies in the sky that shouldn't have. We have killer robots in the skies. We're kind of fine with that. We have weird computers in our pocket that talk to other people about where to meet them for sex. And we have this... This, this world that we live in of miracles and wonderment, right? And David Hasselhoff is still here, just like he was here. And, and then we're like, what are we doing? Like, what, did these people think this is what was going to look at this? Like, what did they think was going to be here now? Like, how is that going to change it? That's, that's kind of what fascinates me about that piece, right? Um, here's the coins, by the way. So these are really old coins. We have the, the, the Museum of Fine Arts, so it's the museum, isn't that great? We're gonna look at it, and it's amazing. We can look at these, they've, they've put them in there to be careful, and everything's cool, and they're gonna be valuable, and we'll stare at them, and we're heroes. Um, but there's also this kind of a deal. Um, here is a, what happened here, this is to me more realistic about what's gonna happen. Uh, a school uh, in Minnesota puts a, a, a cornerstone that's full of a time capsule in it. And then they decide they're gonna rip up that building for a parking lot. Um, it's supposed to be in there for like 50 or 60 years, <clears throat> parking lot 10 years later. So they grab it and they pull it up and what do they find? It's broken. Water got in, it's destroyed. The, the images of it are all these wrecked, why put syringes in it, but okay, fine. <laughs> what were you thinking? Who did you hate? Because in the future, we're going to be so germ-phobic that if someone stabs it, we just zap them with a laser. But, because um, none of the antibiotics work. So, like, this is a Pepsi can, which was supposed to get, I don't know, tell you that Pepsi was also open then. And, 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 and it's gone, right? And, and here's a videotape that also is going to have a little bit of a problem um, trying to explain something. And this schmuck. Um, I only say this because they were talking about how they were going to gleefully throw this stuff out because it was just garbage to them. It was literally garbage. And I wonder if all of that is going to happen, right? Uh, I'm going to switch forward to me again. Um, this is me as a miserable teen. So this isn't quite the uh, horns picture, but it's not quite the little kid with the Holocaust survivor. And this is a picture. There's a whole thing called Bershon, the idea of a teen who gets a picture they don't want to be in. It's called Bershon. It's a thing. We're doing it now. It'll be dead in three months. Don't worry. Um, but it's basically the idea of like, you know, when you take a picture of a teen and they don't want to be there and they're like, like that, Bershon. Anyway, here's the thing. I was really sad. I was vaguely suicidal. I felt really sad about things in the world, but there was one thing I loved and that was reader service cards. And reader service cards are in the back of a magazine. They don't do this anymore. And you would circle the, the, the numbers of the things you wanted to know about, right? You wanted to know like more about this power strip in, in this thing. And it would say, oh, circle 143 on the reader service card. So I circled all of them. <laughs> and every day, every day, the, the beautiful world of the computer would mail me at my house and tell me about things. And I kept it. And I have, I mean, it looks better. Okay, this is me more, I, I cleaned it up. But um, these are all things that were sent to me by companies that died immediately, on contact, like, 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 you know, like pouring water on a hot skillet, just gone, boom, right? 
But there's so much beauty in it. Here's an Atari computer that never came out called the 1450 XLD. I've held the resin model that this was actually a picture of. There's no computer. Um, there's, you know, the Columbia VP, one of the family of Luggables. Uh, there's not much information about the Columbia VB, I'll tell you that, all right. It is amazing to use an Atari, more than you could ever imagine. Uh, Mega Wars was a CompuServe multiplayer game in the 1980s that if you notice, he's on a keyboard uh, and they're fighting each other and I don't know what she's doing, there's no enemy there. Are you okay, lady? Do you have any glasses? Um, he's fighting this bad thing. You should anyway. So, um, you know, in each one of these cases, this was this is the way out of, uh, out of uh, suicidal thoughts for a kid, right? This dream, right? This is a CompuServe ad. That's a pretty good CompuServe ad. <laughs> that can. If 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 you need a, a signal for like maybe you should fucking stick around. It's gonna get pretty awesome. That's a pretty good one. This, by the way, is exactly what Facebook is like, just so you know. It's pretty much it. You are alone and a thing is absorbing you in shadow. It's hard to feel bad about making fun of a company that made a million dollars while I made fun of them. Um, so anyway, the, you know, here, but here's the thing, right? So these guys are beautiful shots of a world that didn't exist, but I fell in love with it and it kept me out of it, and it's why I save it, even though it's been 30 years and I'll put it online. These are all on archive.org. So I end up being a happy kid. Now, Wilson Miner, as you might remember, remember he talked about you know, a tool and I thought that it was neat. So I'm gonna tell you quickly about a tool that I have. I know I'm getting close. I know I'm getting close. They prepped me, they talked me through, they rubbed me with like oils to say, come on, don't, don't, don't make this go too long. So let's talk very quickly about life again. This guy is uh, named Slug. Slug created Space War. If you go to the Computer History Museum on most weekends, Slug will come and kick your ass on the machine behind him, which is the machine that Space War was invented on in 1951. 61, my apologies. So you can go there in 1961, and the guy who invented that computer history will come and kick your ass. This is very important because that is how constricted our online history is. Like the web is this little, you know, when I say it, the web is an eye blink in the history of humanity, right? It's like 5,000 years from like, oh my God, a rock to Kim Kardashian, and then it's, it's like one millisecond to this, right? And, and, and also, I, for some people who care, there's no hover hand. I touched him. I touched the man. I love him. Again, life is a lossy format, but software is not quite a lossy format. It likes to be completely together. And that's where luck comes in. So there's a thing I've been working on for about three years. This is what I started working on. When Brewster hired me, one of the things he said to me was, I would like for you, you know, we've been doing pretty good with the web, we've been doing okay with the web, we've been doing pretty good with books, we're actually doing good with music, we have a lot of music, uh, we have a whole lot of movies, but what about software? How do we do things with software? And the reason that movies and music persist is because we can play them. And not only can we play them, but we can play them like nothing. Like if I'm like, oh God, listen to how terrible this band is, the time from, man, what are you talking about to, you're right, they suck, can be like five seconds. Right? That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? Like, you forget it. Like, oh my God, look what this cat is doing on top of riding this, this, this Roomba. Boom! You're looking at cat on Roomba. The world's a little dumber, but you did it. Two seconds. And so, why don't we have that with software? This is the moment when my mind got blown, right? This is a game called um, uh, Smurf Rescue from ColecoVision, right? Let's go back to it. And in it, you pilot a Smurf. He has to jump over those things and meet Smurfette. It's very simple. It's for the ColecoVision. 
but over the course of two and a half years, we got it to run in a browser in JavaScript. And here's the thing about that. Why, like, first of all, why would you do that abomination against all of man and Lord and, oh, anyway, so the thing is, is that right now, the way to get to everybody is the web. The way that we get there is using a browser. And the thing in browsers that has not been destroyed by Larry Ellison is JavaScript, right? JavaScript's in everything, like it or not. And technology has been done to turn JavaScript into the end run for a compiler. Without going into the full technical details, because they're all up there, the point is we were able to take a emulator called MESS, the multi-emulator super system that has 1,600 platforms, uh, everything from Gen the Sega Genesis and 2600 to the ColecoVision, and be able to make it play stuff in your browser basically in full speed. The first time we got it running, it ran at 14% speed. We had it in 70% speed within two weeks. We had 24 systems running at 100% speed, and it's gone on like that, right? Um, we have been able to do all these different systems. Um, we have old stuff from Atari. All these are running in JavaScript. Here's a, a, a chess system from uh, 1979. Here's Spy versus Spy. We've even gotten to the point, you know, that's, that's neat, and it's up there. If you go to archive.org, go to software, boom, you can say to somebody, I can't believe someone made a game about this. There it is. Okay. So from there, it gets really weird and scary. Because now, once we've been able to make a machine run in a machine, where do you go from there? Well, um, we have something I call the emularity. This is uh, Windows running inside of a browser, um, and we actually have it booting up. So that's JavaScript, and we've actually gotten PPP to work so that the browser can connect through PPP out of the browser into the internet. So it's connecting to textfiles.com using the Mosaic, the, uh, the Mosaic browser um, and is able to connect. So it's a 1994 browser inside of a 1993 operating system that's running inside of a 2015 browser that's running inside of a uh, 2013 operating system, right? We're here now. Um, now, just to be clear, the current internet does not like you. Uh, Whitehouse.gov is like, what are you? Forsooth, I cometh with the Magna Carta to bringeth to you. Um, but that's what we, you know, so okay, fine, I understand that. But the best part is, it actually leaves something in the log. So it'll actually say, well, 16-bit Windows 3.1 Netscape 1.0 is stopped by. That'll blow your metrics right the heck out. And even more importantly than that, you know, it's funny how the world works. It turns out the most important thing, see, look at that. Oh. The most important thing, we've put up 25,000 software packages and consoles, all perfectly running, and everyone wants to play Oregon Trail. <laughs> but it's true. You go to, Oregon, you go to this, our site, and you can play Oregon Trail. And in fact, um, is it having an effect? Yes. Here are students on all these screens playing Oregon Trail on our site. I had a teacher send this to me when he told me this. They used to have the entire class circle around one computer and they would all shout out what needed to be done. Now they walk into the computer room and they all put Oregon Trail on all of them and all the kids are learning about the Oregon Trail uh, through our archive. So there's actually some really amazing things happening. And I should be proud of all this, and I am proud of this. Um, but the thing is, is like I said, it's less about the tool. Because it's neat, right? It's amazing. Please go use it. Wonderful thing. And while you're there, donate to the Internet Archive, please. But, you know, it's, 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 it's less about the fact that I worked on that tool than I grew up through this 
area of tragedy and weirdness, and I found my space, and I built it, and I moved from there and other things, and I found a kindred spirit with a few more bucks, and I was able to work on the dream of the thing I was working on, and together we created this thing that then builds the dreams of these children and other people. So this kid is using a computer that was made, you know, eight minutes ago, although it's a public school, eight years ago, and then he um, is using a computer program from 20 years ago as if it's nothing, just booting it up. He can play it anywhere. And that's more important to me, right? It's, that's where we see all of these things come together. And it's like, if at any time of that I had stumbled or given up on myself, or I hated myself, or I ended myself, none of these things would be in the same way. And so it's just so important to let people know there's people who are on this camera, right? They're the ones I'm also worried about. You know, 10, 15, 20 years, 50 years, I'm sorry I died, but I was pretty cool, glad to meet you this way. And they should feel like I have dreams, there are things that matter to me, and it's not bad to have those things. So nothing is permanent, so love it while it's here, right? Trust very little, but what you do trust, trust it entirely, believe in it, right? I now believe in the Internet Archive. I now believe as a family member in it, in what it's doing, and its goals, and doing that and making it happen, right? And you are responsible for your destiny, but you're not actually alone, right? Your destiny is actually shared. You know, you take care of yourself, but take care of everyone who's a part of your life alone, right? And so, so this is all I'm asking, right? So don't even ask why I have wings. But this is the streets of Belfast. Don't walk down the streets of Belfast as the Black Angel of Death. I've done it, it's old, don't do it. I can't suggest it. Anyway, so all I care about, you know, this is the life that we're getting. We have all these things that are both silly and weird. We've all chosen in many ways to use this easily bored, talkative, stupid thing. And it's a wonderful life and we should enjoy it. We should think about what people are gonna take from it after us. We should remember that we're the temporary caretaker of this chain. But we should enjoy ourselves while we're here. And that's all I wanted to say in an eye blink. Thank you very much. My name is Jason Scott. Two minutes over. Hardly, right. a, hardly a crime. You, it, was, it, was, it was worth it. It was, uh, what did we do to you? Was there ointments involved? Ointments, was I not there when that? There were ointments. There was the free I don't remember that, and I'll deny drinks. it all. So uh, the other thing is, do you want to actually, uh, you want to do the transition? I'll make you work on a keyboard since you're so good Always. at the keyboard. So 2% of the Internet Archive is your direct. Somewhat your name depending. is all over it. As you go to yeah. all these, you I can. I like to visit things. So you're going to drag that browser window window to Winder Winder to the right, drag it to the right. Criticize my pronunciation later. There you go. Actually, sort of works. So this is a funky little game called Robotron. Does anyone remember Robotron? Excellent. So running in the archive. So we wanted to do a a demo of how this. how this works, and we want to do it on our big screen because we've got an awesome big screen. Well, here's the deal with Robotron. You are the last living creature, a living robot on Earth. You're a warrior, and there are nuclear families who wander around, and they're beset upon by endless sets of creatures. And normally you would have two, you had two joysticks. This was made in 1983, I believe, uh, 82. And you, one would do nothing but move you, and the other one would do nothing but fire. So you would do this. And it was brutal. It would throw 40, 50, 80 enemies at you. What? You're going to make me do this? Do it. Fire. Fire at them. And then you want to pick up the members of the family. 
to save them. Oh, come on. And then boom. And then next one. But as you can see, each oh, and then each one of these is a nightmarish beset upon. It's like Day of the Dead, but every one of the zombies is on a on a Vespa scooter. And and look out. And so you're trying to like shoot at them, but it's going to be even worse because you're going to be paired up with a human being. Or you're going to play the what weird things can Jason say to me while I'm talking to him game, which is even more interesting. Doesn't cost you a quarter. Anyway. Oh, and by the way, this is all in JavaScript running inside of a browser inside of the Internet Archive. Let's... I can't believe people were actually caring about the, the fate of that little guy. No! The future! Thanks for listening to The Conversations at the Interval. To find out more about our series and Long Now, go to theinterval.org or longnow.org. Thanks again.